Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. With me, as usual, Kevin Barrios and David Fisher. Ali Cosell is off tonight, as is Preston Ellis. So it's just the three of us. And uh, over the last week or so, it's pretty much been all Zion all the time, whether it's uh, basketball-related or um, off-the-court-related, guys. Um, The First big news that dropped last week, of course, was Zion signing with Jordan Brand. Um, just you guys' feedback on what that signing means for Zion, what it means for the Pelicans, and what it means um, ultimately for that narrative of uh, guys in small markets not being able to get big endorsements. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think those days are gone. I think we've seen that, you know, you have stars and like Milwaukee, the, I mean, the MVP is in Milwaukee, you know, I think those days of markets are over. It's just about uh, individual talent and how marketable that player is. And of course, Zion's athleticism is unparalleled. Um, you know, I think you would compare, could compare him to sort of Reggie Bush coming out of college and, uh, in football, you know, is just like this dynamic athlete that had th- these jaw-dropping highlight reels that you think could uh, redefine what a position could be in the in the league they play in. Um, and also, you know, they have solid personalities and character. I mean, Zion's probably a little bit even more uh, bubblier and more marketable than Reggie even was uh, back then. So I think those days are gone of, you know, big market um, owning endorsement deals. And uh, I think, you know, as we've seen, you know, the guys are going to play for the Clippers now, teams that, you know, nobody wanted to touch before. It doesn't really matter the location as much anymore. It's just all about who you are and how good you are and what your personality is. And, I mean, that's great for every market in this in this league. You know, you want to be able to attract stars to every every team. You want the league to be as good as it can be. And um, you don't want these franchises that just – wilt and die at the end of a vine. So I think it's, it's a very good move. And I think social media and the internet and, and, you know, league pass and illegal streams and those kind of things have just opened the door for um, 
all of these players that normally couldn't get the accolades that they deserve can now get them and people are aware of them and, and know about them. They, he gets 75 million for five years, the most lucrative uh, deal for a rookie uh, ever for a shoe contract. Uh, and he signs again with the Jordan brand, a brand that has kind of been in need of a boost in having a signature athlete. The guys that they've had on the roster as of late, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, um, these are guys who are on the, the, the downsides of their careers. The Jordan brand certainly need to be invigorated. Uh, is Zion the guy to, to bring the Jordan brand back to the front, forefront? Uh, it's never felt like the Jordan brand really was ever at the forefront. It was kind of just like a side thing that Nike still did. But, you know, with that Jordan logo kind of on top of it, they still do have, if I, if I remember off the top of my head correctly, Russell Westbrook, I think would be kind of their forerunner at this point. And it's hard to say the specific brand, how much that matters. I know that the Jordan brand maybe doesn't necessarily have the greatest track record of consistently putting out attractive shoes, which is a concern of mine as a New Orleans Pelicans fan who would be, you know, a prime market for somebody to buy a Zion Williamson shoe for myself, for my kids. Um, Is it going to be an attractive shoe that um, we want to have on our feet, not just because it's Zion's shoe? Um, So that is really my biggest hang up in terms of how much money he made um, on the deal, et cetera. I think that's just a testament to the fact that the money and the endorsements and all of that from a national perspective are simply going to chase the the players who are marketable, who have, you know, that, that gravitas um, on, on social media and stuff like that. And Zion Williamson, you could say that Zion Williamson, before he was in the league, when he was still in high school, before he had even chosen to go to Duke was still nearly as known as Anthony Davis when he was playing in New Orleans. And a lot of that has to do with AD style of play struggles in New Orleans, kind of getting his career off the ground. But Anthony Davis has never really come off as a terribly marketable player. And that's, I mean, a lot of that's just personality and the kind of person that he is. And that isn't necessarily a knock on him, like being a marketable player is a positive outside of what it does for your pocketbook. But Zion Williamson clearly is um, through this point. And so I, 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 to me, I was not at all surprised that he got paid because everybody expected him to get paid regardless of where he went. You might be able to say maybe he could have made more money if he went to, you know, one of those, Tent pole franchises like the Knicks, where he'd you know have a a larger home market and probably a bigger national media push than Zion might get come January and February. Um, but right now, when we're still in the honeymoon period, uh, everything's feeling good. But I mean, he got the money that we expected him to get, uh, and good for him. But the thing is, is that the next shoe contract and everything that's going to come along with that is going to be largely weighed on his ability to move merchandise um, and the attractiveness of that and the how his star grows over the next five years. The Pelicans obviously have a lot to do with that if your team is consistently in the playoff hunt 
and you're always, you know, on ESPN, not just for when's he going to leave, um, then that would increase his marketability or um, it could increase his marketability even if it's saying that he is going to leave because they might be saying, oh, he's going to go to another big market. Don't I, I would not take anything that happened this summer to say that the old patterns of the NBA or at least how it's covered are changing anytime soon. Well, that being said, there has been plenty of attention to New Orleans, and we continue to see um, a lot of fascination around the nation with what the Pelicans are doing, um, with what David Griffin is doing. He's appeared, continued to appear on national programs, and he's talked a lot about his team as of late. Uh, one of the players he talked about, the aforementioned Zion Williamson, uh, Griffin says he's still growing. And we've also seen him at Saints practice this week. Uh, and he certainly looks more fit than he did at Summer League. To me, his growth is not something that's surprising. He's 19 years old. If you were 24, 25 and you were growing, that'd be more of a shock. But the fact that he is growing and that his body is now coming into form, uh, does that put you at ease, um, Dave? Does that make you feel... Uh, were you ever concerned really about him physically or are you just, is this just reaffirming what you knew was going to happen once he was in the Pelicans hands? It is. It's very uh, reassuring that this is the direction they're going there. I I feel like the comments that you've had from him throughout are, we need to keep an open mind. We're not going to set what we're going to do based on what we've seen from him until we have our hands on him in the gym, in the weight room, um, all the other places that they might be working him out. Um, you can see from the photos um, that I've seen so far of him when he's been making appearances at the Saint, Saints practices and the quarterback challenge and things like that. It already looks like he's lost a little bit of the uh, spare tire that had happened. And, you know, the freshman 15 is a thing that happens for everybody. And I don't blame him at all for picking it up, you know, between – the end of their Duke's run in the NCAA tournament and through draft because he, I mean, it's hard to stay in basketball shape when he's doing the award circuit and all the rest of this, but we should have, I mean, he he does everything that you've heard from him. He understands the totality of the profession that he is coming into. Um, And just the fact that he needs to listen and learn and, here we have we here we have the Pelicans and they are fully invested in trying to make him the best Zion Williamson that he can be. That's the one thing that has been really um, good to hear on my end is the fact that David Griffin has repeatedly said that they are keeping all of their options open pretty much on the direction he's going to go and they just want to maximize his talent rather than trying to put him in a box and say this is the direction we want to go with you now instead can can we maximize you as broadly as possible to make you the best player but at the same time i feel like all of the rest of those comments if you if you you know any of the listeners who haven't been reading to all listening to all the podcasts griffins have done is that they don't want to put too much on zion's plate when it comes to being on the basketball court and being the face of the franchise right away. They want him to still be a 19 year old kid. They're not trying to put the pressure of saving the franchise, et cetera, on him. So everything that you've heard, uh, David Griffin is currently executing a masterclass on how do you 
um, run a franchise and accept in a highly, highly touted prospect. Well, Kevin, one of the players that he also um, compared Zion Williamson to was Draymond Green. And a lot of people would probably at first blush say that's too low a bar for a number one pick. But I think what Griffin is talking about, obviously, is the versatility of Draymond Green, somebody who can initiate the offense, be uh, an all-star, all-league-level all defender, um, and, and make his teammates better. But with that dynamic athleticism and, and scoring ability that Zion has to take that to another level, do you see – um, some do you see validity in Griffin's example, or is there another um, type player that may be in the league that that you see Zion kind of developing into? Yeah, I mean, obviously those parallels to Draymond Green make some sense. You know, obviously he's a super athletic version of that. Um, but you know, they were both guys that are a little bit on the heavier side coming into the league and are probably best suited to play the five, but aren't prototypical five height. Um, they're both strong, both intense, both um, commit on defense and are smart on, on the defensive end and both can play make well for their position. I think, you know, obviously um, Zion ceiling projects to be much higher than that. Um, you know, we hope that he gets there. At least physically, we know he's going to be um, more imposing physically than what Draymond is in terms of athleticism and possibly strength. Um but, you know, for me, I think, you know, if Zion gets to peak what he could be, I think, you know, we've seen people talk about him as Charles Barkley or, you know, but I think it's maybe somewhere like a weird mix of like uh, Charles Barkley with peak era Sean Kemp and and uh, like current era uh, Blake Griffin, you know, a guy who can also play make and dribble and shoot the three a little bit that Blake Griffin has evolved into, but with that crazy athleticism of um, of Sean Kemp with those those highlight reel dunks and running the floor like that, but then also the craftiness and the intelligence and the in the will of uh, Charles Barkley and a little bit of an undersized body, even though we've seen that he's he's grown some in height. Um, and you know the the weight's not an issue. I mean, he has the weight to play the five right now, but I think you're looking somewhere as some sort of mix at that at his peak. And I think maybe you would hope that Draymond would be like the floor of what you would get from him. Drew Holiday also has been a big subject um, and continues to be for David Griffin. One of the things he, that David Griffin and Drew Holiday has talked about, Drew is preparing himself physically to play all 48 minutes, which leads into a big topic of discussion. How are the minutes going to be distributed by the Pelicans this season. Look, there we know that there's a limited amount of minutes and we know that the bulk of them, if you just go to starting five, let's say, let's be conservative with our starting five. And we're saying that, uh, are we all under agreement that we think it'll be Lonzo, Drew, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Favors? Yeah. Under, okay. So if that's the assumption on starting line, even if we were conservative and say Drew gets 36 minutes a night, and the other four starters play around 30 minutes a night. That's, what, 156 minutes right there of the game? How do you divvy up the rest of those amongst those other 10 players when all of them have a reasonable case uh, for playing time? And then you, take, you look at J.J. Redick, we say you, you give him 20 to 25. 
And then you, uh, you're looking at what, who else off the bench, Josh Hart, you're giving him 20. So where are those minutes going to come from uh, for the Pelicans? How is Alvin Gentry going to balance this among that roster? Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you this time. All right. I, the way I look at it, I, I see basically a 10 man rotation, you know, with the five guys you already talked about and Reddick, Hart. Um, I see Melly getting big minutes. I see Kenrick Williams getting uh, some minutes, and I, I see uh, Alexander Walker also getting minutes. And I, But I think Alexander Walker's minutes will be sometimes given to Frank Jackson. I think you'll see him go more to Alexander Walker um, and then every few games work Frank Jackson in with the same minute load. But I'm looking at, you know, Lonzo right at 30. I have Drew at 33. I could see 36 easily. Um I have uh, Ingram at 28, Zion at 29, Favors at 30, Reddick at 27, 18 for Hart, and then I have 21 for Melly, 13 for Kenrick, and uh, 11 that goes to either Alexander Walker or Frank Jackson um, every night. And then, you know, obviously those can fluctuate, you know, th- three to five minutes. Um, but that's how I see it breaking down. I mean, I think Melly was brought here from Europe. He was highly touted around the league, highly uh, respected and sought after by Trajan Langdon. Um, I think he fills your basically backup big role. You know, we've heard them talk of Ja this offseason, and they gave, him, they gave him that extension. But we also heard that last season. You know, we heard he was in this great shape, that he was going to be this versatile defender and all this stuff, and he barely got on the floor. And I kind of feel like that's going to happen again this season, even if the, you know, the front office thinks he's great. It still has to go through Alvin William. I mean, Alvin Gentry, who who plays. And um, and I, I just don't see Alvin Gentry throwing him out there that often because I don't think he really fits what Alvin wants to do. Of course, in certain matchups where you have bigger centers or if you need somebody as a low post threat down there, then sure, he'll get minutes in some games. But I don't see him being a consistent contributor I don't see Darius Miller getting any minutes. I think Etwan Moore could get minutes. Uh, he could maybe get Alexander Walker's minutes early, but I think you need more playmaking. So by giving the minutes to Alexander Walker, you're getting a better playmaker out there than Etwan, and I think Etwan will eventually be moved for something else. And um, and then you know, same thing with Alexander Walker versus Frank. Alexander Walker can create. He can create off the dribble. He can create for himself. He's longer. So I think while Frank is a better athlete, I don't think Frank has the dribble moves to be able to beat anybody off of off the dribble to use that athleticism to be that uh, playmaking relief point guy, which you really need because you already have Reddick and Hart to just be the, the off guards or the wings. And um, I, so I, I think it's hard to find minutes for Frank. He really has to wow, I think, to really get them because he doesn't have that making ability for himself or for others that that Nikhil Alexander Walker shows. So um, I think those guys fall out of the rotation. But I, I mean, I like I said, I think every few games uh, Frank will get uh, Alexander Walker's minutes, but it'll be about ten minutes a game. Dave, what's your take on on the minute situation? Well, um, I was looking through some old box scores of the Pelicans last year and in previous years under Alvin Gentry. When they're not injured and they're not playing in garbage time, Gentry usually wants to play about an eight to a nine man rotation. Now, you could say that some of that was the fact that he only had eight or nine guys 
deserving of minutes, but it's hard to play more than 10 guys, definitely. And 10 guys is still a little bit of a stretch when you have a situation like the Pelicans do right now, where I feel like he's going to want to have one of Lonzo or Drew on the court almost all the time. So when Drew goes out, you know, if I would think that if the situation is going to be Lonzo probably goes out early and then comes back when Drew goes, sits for his blow. And then by the time, you know, Drew's been rested enough, then it's time to get Lonzo out a little bit. And then maybe they close with a slightly different lineup, but looking at the roster and who I expect the players that I expect Alvin Gentry to trust if he's, and, and this is kind of a problem that you think of, between organizationally and then the coaching staff. Are we trying to win tonight or are we trying to win long-term? If we're trying to win tonight, you it's harder to find minutes for um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, for Jackson Hayes, for um, even Kynrick Williams, Frank Jackson. It, it's very easy to say none of those guys are in the rotation if Alvin Gentry is still trying to win tonight's game which I think is going to be the overarching plan for the organization. If you listen to what David Griffin has said up to this point. So I expect that there's, there's going to be a core of eight players that are the rotation players. The five mentioned that, that we've mentioned holiday ball, Ingram favors and Williamson as your starters. And then three guys off the bench who are going to get consistent run, which would be JJ Redick, Josh Hart and Nicolo Melli as your your, your big man rotation. Those eight guys I expect to get minutes every single night. The starters 30 and up, and then um, the the reserve guys somewhere between 20 to 28. Um, JJ Reddick's probably going to be higher on that number um, just because he's deserving of those minutes. I've seen some rotations where they say Josh Hart isn't even a rotation player, um, apparently because they've never watched Josh Hart ever play basketball. Um, that's, that's right. really all I can say. Josh Hart is, you could say right now in terms of being a small forward who contributes on both sides of the court and doesn't take too much stuff off of the table. Josh Hart is the most complete wing player that the Pelicans have, but he doesn't have the upside of Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram brings a lot more offensively, but at the same time, Brandon Ingram's up to this point been a kind of high volume scorer isolation player up to this point whereas josh hart is a massive contributor defensively he contributes on the on the glass like a real small forward not like say darius miller one of the things i had had read somewhere that you know darius miller is way ahead because he's so much bigger than josh hart and they have the exact same standing reach their wingspans are within a quarter of inch of each other and josh hart literally has double the rebound rate which means he actually plays and contributes like a larger man than um, Darius Miller does on a day-to-day basis. So those are the eight that I think are the core of the rotation, but I expect that Alvin Gentry is going to try to extend it and play a regular 10 to 11 guys, depending on the matchup, depending on who hasn't played lately. I think we, one of the things we need to expect is just for health reasons, it's it's very likely that none of the players play more than like 75 games in a season. None of these players on this roster played more than 75 games last year. 
So expect that they're going to miss eight to 10 games, either for rest, minor injuries, you know, and expect that there's going to be injuries. The Pelicans finally have a roster that has the depth to deal with injuries. But the other guys that I feel like will be in and out of the rotation, depending on matchups, depending how, on how players would play, would be the other veterans that are left. Etwan Moore, uh, Darius Miller, and Jalil Okafor. If you know, you're playing a team with a huge guy that they bring off the bench, um, like uh, uh, Boban or something like that, you might see some more jaw minutes right there to deal with that. And jaw, while it feels like he didn't play a whole lot last season, he almost played 900 minutes. And when you, he played 935 actually. And when you think the Pelicans only have just under 20,000 minutes to allocate to everyone, he logged almost, you know, a 20th of the minutes. And when you consider, like you said, if you give those starters all 30 minutes a game, you're giving 2000 minutes plus to each one of them over the course of the season. So you've already locked up half of the minutes. The entire team is going to play just in your starting five. But so those are the 11 I expect to be in the rotation, the top eight, a daily rotation, and then the other three, depending on matchups, depending on who's healthy or not. And then the other four guys at the bottom of the roster. So Frank and then Frank, Heinrich, and then the other two rookies, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes. Those guys I expect to play. They will play some minutes. I mean, Solomon Hill played 800 minutes last year for the Pelicans. Do you guys remember any of them outside of the lowlights? He he logged 800 minutes. Sheck Diallo logged 800 minutes. Tim Frazier logged 900 minutes. Nikola Mirotic, who was traded and injured most of the time, logged 900 minutes. There are minutes that are going to be available to the players and to these rookies, and hopefully the Pelicans won't have a situation like they did last year where they have – 20 different players play for them hopefully it's just these 15 that they have under roster but i don't expect any of the other the non-zion rookies or frank or Kynrick to be solid pieces of the rotation unless somehow the pelicans are just determined to make frank jackson a point guard and give him the reserve point guard minutes whenever drew and Lonzo are sitting. But from what I've seen from Frank Jackson, that's, that's not who he is. He's, he's a shooting guard. Who's just short. Well, yeah, I, I think that <laughs> the, the bottom of the, the Pelicans rotation is going to, it's going to be really hard for those bottom five guys to get minutes on a nightly basis. I think Jaleel has a better chance to get minutes um, than some of the other guys just because there are very few big and, and long options in the post um, and favors will need a blow from, from time to time. And I don't know how often they want to put Zion um, at the center position while he's learning. You don't want to get him reach files and, and anything like that um, while he's learning. So I think Jaleel out of that group has the best chance, but I think you're absolutely on Nikhil Walker-Alexander, Terrence Williams, Jackson Hayes, Frank Jackson, I don't know how any of those guys get consistent minutes on a nightly basis. They're to me, they're situational players. And a lot of those situations are going to be foul trouble and or injuries for them to have to get on the court. Uh, But it's, it's for the first time. That's an interesting problem for the Pelicans to have is they have too many guys and not enough minutes because unfortunately we've had too many minutes and not enough guys 
poor Absolutely. the last decade. Let me ask you, <laughs> Rob, I want to ask you something about what you just said. When you're talking about uh, not playing, uh, playing job more while Zion's learning, are you, do you project Zion as a center in the future? Like that's what he's going to be mainly? No, I don't think so, but I think he'll play some backup there because if he grows to 6'10", you know, you can put him there at moments. But his biggest advantage while he's still getting um, his shooting together, I think, is is like uh, Griffin once is that is a playmaker who can move out on the perimeter and create with his dribbling um, and, and get some shots for other people. And I don't think it'd be more of a limit to him for that at the center position. Um, I don't think he's like a Nikola Jokic stand at the top of the key and, and find people kind of a player. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately he is a four, but he can play the backup five in spurts, especially in small okay. ball lineups where he can really run and do some damage that way. And then another question I got for both of you guys is um, when I did, when I was mapping out my minutes, I, I used uh, 2K to sort of help me, you know, actually map out rotations. And I think, uh, I think that Brandon Ingram will be the first guy that subs off the court, and then he'll come back to spell Lonzo as the the de facto point guard, whether he's playing actual point guard or he's playing from the small court spot length by Hart and Redick. Do you guys see that as a possibility as him sort of being the, the ball handler in the second unit? If I can take this one first, that's the yeah. one big question that I have, um, you know, and I think it's not big, but it's who is that um, ball handler when either, when both Drew and Zoe are off the floor, and that's going to happen at some point. Um, and so it looks Ingram is the number one candidate to do that, to be that lead ball handler. But if he is unable to do that role early, let's say while he's still in recovery, mm-hmm. while he's still getting his strength back, who I, I don't know who on this team could run the offense. It's the good thing is it's that it's a motion based offense and the ball is not supposed to stick in people's hands. But mm-hmm. we've seen with this team with some of these guys who are reserves and then again with rookies who are going to be making up a lot of that second unit too. Who somebody has to be able to, to control the offense when the offense needs to be settled down. So if if Fisher or you have an answer as to who you think besides Ingram could be that next secondary ball handler because I don't think they want to throw Nikhil Alexander-Walker into that role immediately, and I don't think Frank Jackson is suited for it. So, yeah, who would be that guy outside of Ingram? I, I think a couple things on that. One, with younger guys, especially like with Lonzo, I expect Lonzo to be the first sub out and Drew to play close to, if not the entire first and third quarters. That's been a rotational choice they've done for quite some time where you want to have your best players get to play, not only get the starters, but once the reserves start to come in and try to take advantage of that situation. So I expect Drew's going to play regularly barring foul trouble, which he's been quite good at avoiding, um, you know, the first 12 in the first and the third quarters. And so if you have Lonzo as an early sub out, then he's a really easy sub back in to begin the second and the fourth quarters to continue to have a true point guard on the floor at all times. So Drew Holiday doesn't have to be the point guard a lot. And when Drew Holiday is the point guard, it's largely against reserves. But when Drew comes off the floor, Gentry still has 
Lonzo there at the controls to keep the pace up and things like that. So that's how I think they would plan it. But if that is not the situation, I do think that if looking at this roster, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, what we saw in summer league might be the best opportunity, maybe just at the beginning and the second of the second and the fourth quarters. Can you give me three minutes? Can you give me four minutes of each of these quarters where you're the point guard that you need to bring up and initiate the offense, but to make your life easy, I'm going to make sure that you have JJ Redick on the floor and Derek favors on the floor and like some vets that I can trust with you out there to make sure that things don't get out of hand. That's, that's what I would expect if, if plans go awry where they can't just always have one of Drew and Lonzo on the floor. Um, Alternatively, they could kind of do the same thing with Frank Jackson. If you look back to some of the box scores last year, especially early on, um, Frank Jackson was a rotation player early on. They thought that he, he could log those minutes at point guard. He logged a lot of minutes, especially after Alfred Payton went down with his first finger injury. So, I, I mean, they're trying to groom him for something. He's only going to be 21 years old. Um, you can't really throw in the towel on him. But me personally, knowing how long you have Frank under t- team control, how long you have Nikhil under control, and what we've seen from both of those guys in terms of IQ and what they do when they are at the controls of the offense, I would prefer it to be Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But a lot of that is my own personal bias at this point because yep. I'm all in on that guy. Yeah, that that's a, that was my thoughts on giving him those like ten minutes a game, and I agree with you. I, I mean, I think it it's kind of foolish to keep trying to force Frank Jackson into being something he's not, because if you're trying to develop him, you're trying to develop him wrong because you're doing something that just goes against what he is built to do. And he can be a successful player. Um, he just needs to be an off ball guy that really gets a lot of his his scoring through cutting and using that athleticism before the ball gets to his hands. Uh, because he's not, he doesn't have the little moves. So I, that's why I agree with, you know, with, uh, that's why I was proposing Alexander Walker get minutes uh, throughout. And then, um, you know, and then also using Ingram more as that ball handler with the second unit once Lonzo goes out to sort of alleviate that and not have to rely on Frank to be that facilitator because I just don't see it in his game. Yeah, the great thing to, for, about Ingram is his ability to get at the rim. And we know that he gets to the free throw line with regularity. Now, he's got to improve his free throw shooting. He was in the 60s last year, the upper 60s. But still, um, for a guy with his ability to, to shoot the mid-range shot, um, and he doesn't have an ugly shooting form, he should be in the 70s, um, mid-70s, the upper 70s. And hopefully he, he goes up this year. But at least the Pelicans this year have somebody on the perimeter who is not a point guard um, or is not a combo guard who can get to the rim from the perimeter. And they have two of those guys, hopefully, in Zion and Brandon Ingram. With that being said, the impact on the offense in that regard for Alvin Gentry and what he wants to do to have potentially four guys on the floor in his starting lineup who can all handle the basketball. How important is that to the evolution of that offense and um, uh, and just its efficiency and not just being able to score numbers, but in how, they, how they're able to score? Fish, you want to take that one? 
I, I want to go back to if, if okay. we're looking at that starting lineup. No, and I'm, I'm answering your question, but mm-hmm. in a roundabout way. When you look at that starting lineup, what I see is I see four guys that can defend. And I, I, I really feel like the best way to maximize what Alvin Gentry does is to tell him here are you know, five players of those five in the starting lineup. You have four superior plus level defenders if, I mean, we're giving Zion a, a massive benefit of the doubt on that end. But when you consider the fact that he has to be the fourth best defender on that roster of those four players behind Drew, behind Derek Favors, who we can say on both of their points are some of the best players, defenders at their position league-wide. And then Lonzo um, comes with a substantial – I mean, if there was one thing that I I noticed with all of the Lakers interaction that I have been a pleasure to deal with over the past six months (laughs) is the fact that uh, Lonzo Ball is a superb defender, high, incredibly high basketball IQ – can make a whole bunch of switches just with his size. I mean, we're talking about that that starting lineup is big. It's long. You've got a six foot six point guard. Drew Holiday's listed at six four, but I mean that that's one of those things where height doesn't necessarily dictate how large a player plays. Drew Holiday's one of those players that regularly plays bigger than how he's listed. He defends players far larger than he's listed. You see players that on the box score are supposed to outweigh him by 20, 30, 40 pounds, try to back him down and get nowhere. That's a regular occurrence that we as as Pelican fans have, have, have been able to experience. So my thing on the offensive end, especially with that starting lineup and especially with how Zion kind of fits into it is they can get a lot of points off of turnovers and missed baskets because that lineup projects to rebound extremely well so you're going to be able to finish possessions and it's going to create turnovers because you're going to have a high iq guy at the top of the defense and drew holiday and, and lonzo ball and then you have an absolute nba veteran in Derek favors at the bottom kind of coordinating and quarterback in that so you're going to get stops you're going to get turnovers and you can turn that into easy offense and then with all those guys that can handle the ball etc even if you're taking the ball out of the basket if everybody wants to run we've uh, there are plenty of cheap baskets that you can get against teams because they're lazy that uh, there there are there are buckets to be made there and i expect that the pelicans are going to get a lot of them and then on the offensive end not even worrying about shooting or how are they going to space and move the floor zion williamson and Derek favors are going to crash the glass on offense and they can do that more so than they could on a different roster because they have superior defenders on the wing behind them which gives you a little bit more latitude to crash the glass more when you not only have good defenders at your guard slots but big defenders where you don't necessarily have to worry about um you know a mismatch being absolute death because drew holiday is um defending their big man because he's not just going to you know uh i lost the word there but just you know just concede if he gets posted up by a big man like some guards would where they're just going to give up the bucket drew holiday's not going to do that so with that just those things we're going to get easy buckets transition we're going to get easy buckets by 
creating turnovers. We're going to get fast into our sets, even after made baskets. And then we're going to be willing to crash the glass at a far higher rate than most teams are. And at a high, more efficiency rate, just when you're talking about how well Derek favors and Zion Williamson finish around the basket. All of that, the rest of your half court possessions that you have, if you can, even if you're below average on that part of it, you should still come up well above water and you expect that team to be a plus defensively just in general so i feel like that starting lineup should be a consistent you know plus three plus four at at minimum and when you're talking about beating up on the other team starters like that that that's that's that that's a great place to spark start especially when we're talking about a team where we have so much depth Pelicans have so much depth that we're worried that there are players that deserve NBA minutes that won't get them. Whereas before they were starting, they were starting, you know, 10 day contracts in January, as soon as they came available, because they just didn't have bodies. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Kevin, um, do you think that that with this group, the, the, the versatility of this group, Obviously, um, Alvin has, has preached that defense was going to spur this team's offense, but they've got mm-hmm. pieces on both ends that they've not had before. Um, some folks have asked. Um, we, we've got a couple of reader, uh, listener questions about where, would you, where do you see the Pelicans' offense and defense ranking this season? When they were at their best during the playoff run, again, the offense was middle of the pack, but the defense was top um, 10. Do you see something like that this season or do you see the offense being better than average or, you know, outpacing expectations? Yeah, sort of uh, piggybacking off a little bit of what David was saying, you know, when we're at Summer League, we were hanging out in the SB Nation uh, conference room and a bunch of, you know, talking with a bunch of other writers from different sites. And, you know, everybody was concerned about like Lonzo not having half court skills which is a fair enough assessment. You know, you do have to worry about him developing some more skills that help you in, in a half-court setting. But as David said, and what I said is, well, we, we don't play in the half-court anyway, so it doesn't matter because when you're playing that great defense, you're getting those easy buckets. And then also the way Alvin Gentry plays, you basically run out of out of, when the ball goes through the basket anyway. You know, you're, you're quick striking. So um, that stuff, they definitely have limitations in the starting lineup offensively, but I think they'll be mitigated as David – perfectly explained on the defensive end. So I think you're going to see, I mean, Alvin Gentry is a guy for how, you know, you can criticize him for several things, but you can't criticize him for the amount of points he, he can get lineups to put up. And now he has a lot of versatility. He has a lot of playmakers. He has, he has a decent amount of shooters. You know, we were concerned about shooting, but I think Josh Hart uh, will revert to, uh, the year before last, because last year we know he was playing very injured and sometimes he was like playing the four, uh, you know, he was playing all over the place. And I think he does have a good shot and I think that'll come back. And then we know what kind of shooter Redick is. Then you still have one of the best shooters in the league and Etuan Moore that you can get minutes for. 
And like I said, you can use uh, lineups where you have Brandon Ingram as a ball handler and you have him surrounded by Redick and Hart or, or Redick and Etwan, whatever, and you have like all this offensive firepower. Um, so I do think the offense will be, you know, in, probably in the top 10. And I also think the defense will be in the top 10 um, because of, you know, the versatility defensively. And in fact, again, going back to summer league, Ali and I ran into Darren Ehrman in the airport when we're flying out and it's kind of a shame that he's not going to be around to coach this team because, you know, he finally, they finally got him a bunch of versatile defenders and then, you know, they sent him packing, but um, you know, considering what he had to work with before this would have been a dream scenario for him. So yeah, I have really high expectations for this defense and I don't ever really doubt Alvin Nutri on the offensive end, even if he's doing stuff that sometimes I think goes against what the, what the roster dictates, he still finds a way to score a ton of points. So I'm not really concerned on that end. And then, well, going back to the defense, then one of the biggest questions has been, um, when does Jeff, does Delic, um, the former Houston Rockets assistant, come on board? The last report that I saw from Adrian Wojnarowski was that it should happen sometime around Labor Day. Uh, is that a good thing that it's going to take so long for does Delic to get in? Um, and start to implement some of these defensive uh, schemes? Or obviously, do we think he's just he's already in contact with the staff and um, allowing, you know, and, and having those kinds of discussions with Alvin Gentry, the rest of the, the coaching staff, and, and, and starting on uh, figuring out what he wants these players to do? Uh, is, is it a problem that he won't be around for another month or so? Uh, Fish, what do you think that, about that? I don't think so because a lot of what they're, they're going to do defensively requires everyone to be there to understand the totality of, of, of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. I think we might see that the, the defensive scheme that Bizdelic is going to implement might, might be different from what he um, kind of made famous most recently with, um, with Houston, um, which was a pretty much a switch everything kind of defense because of the personnel he has, he has more, that he he's working with more defensive talent, especially, you know, in those, in the, the top eight of the rotation than he was working with in Houston. And he scratched and clawed, you know, passable defense out of that group with the, the pace that they're playing and the, the amount of three point shots that they're, that they're taking all of which kind of makes defense more difficult to do. Um, because he was also kind of, uh, I want to say the defensive coordinator when he was in Memphis as an assistant and the defense that they ran there was a a far different system than um, what he implemented when he was in Houston um, some years later in the past couple seasons. So I don't think the specific, what he's going to do defensively and how he's going to install this system is something that can be done piecemeal with players because he needs to see them all together to figure out how he wants to devise it. And I think that's why um, David Griffin is bringing him in at this time is not necessarily we're bringing you in to bring in your system. We're bringing you in to look at what we have and then try to design the system around what we have. And he doesn't, he doesn't need to be in the, in the gym, in the practice sessions with them to make that happen right now. I feel like, and and this is as somebody who hasn't been, you know, in in the 
in the practice facility when we're outside of training camp and stuff like that. I think a lot of what they're doing right now is more on the lines of conditioning and getting their individual games ready and not necessarily how those individual games work up, link up together as much. Um, maybe more on offensive end, they can think about that than defensively where you need five pieces working together um, and understanding how the pieces work together. Kevin, is Bizdelic an upgrade over Ehrman? Um, he's had, he has a very strong reputation around the league, obviously, um, with the Rockets, especially the last couple of seasons. But he's had some trouble with relationships. That's been his big issue at every stop of his career, whether it's been as a head coach or as an assistant. So how does he fit in? Do you think he's a, a, a good fit for this team? You know, I, I'm just going to say I don't know if he's an upgrade or not. Um, we'll find out. That's Well, I, I, it's not really even – we're going to not necessarily even be able to find out because Ehrman was definitely dealt a shorthand with rosters and injuries and the things that he had to deal with. Um, so we never really got to see Ehrman work with a cast of, of players that really worked for what he was trying to do, unfortunately. Um I think the defense is going to be very good and that's going to come from the talent that we have. And I think obviously uh, Vizdelic is a very well-respected coach and I trust everything that Griffin has done so far because everything he's done so far has been very impressive. Um, so if he thinks that this guy's an upgrade, um, then I'm just going to roll with that. I, it's it's really hard to say because, you know, like I said, I just don't think Ehrman was able to show his ability with what he was given to, to work with. That's true. I, I think that's going to be the one thing that really under that gets undersold about Ehrman because people talk about that the Pelicans didn't really have a commitment to defense. They just didn't have the talent. I mean, we saw what he did with, with passable defenders, um, you know, down the stretch um, the season before last. They're, outside of Drew and Anthony Davis, you still did not have a collection of great defenders on the floor. Nikola Miritich was not a great defender. He did his job. The rest of that team, you know, Darius Miller, the, the, the Etuan Moore, okay defenders, but they were as good as any team, you know, in the league down the stretch. And that was on Ehrman. And we know, and he got, he got great play out of Rondo defensively uh, down the stretch. His, his defensive play improved by leaps and bounds. So, I mean, Ehrman, when given, just uh, the opportunity to have healthy bodies showed that he could coach a team up. And like you said, he never really got that chance last season. And like, he's a bit of a scapegoat or fall guy for something. But on the other hand, I do agree with you that everything Griffin has done so far has worked out. So he deserves the doubt, but I have not been a big Bizdelic fan going back to his time at Denver when he was head coach of the Nuggets. And then some personal experience, obviously watching him when he was, head coach at Wake Forest, um, my alma mater. And then just the stuff that he did go through with the Rockets having to get released and then come back. So I just hope that, as we all do, as we get older, you learn something and maybe he'll fit better in uh, with this locker room than maybe he has in others in the past. Fish, do you you think that Ms. Delic is an upgrade or that remains to be seen? It... uh... I'm 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 kind of of two minds on that. One, um, it seems like Bizdelic has a, a greater amount of experience adapting to a new roster and figuring out how to make it work and devising a new kind of method of attack defensively, um, depending on the talent 
that he has available than what we've seen from Ehrman. <clears throat> but at the same time, I kind of always felt like Ehrman set up very nicely as kind of the transition if the Pelicans weren't going to go outside for, let's be honest, it, it, the expectation is Alvin Gentry is not going to be here for Zion's entire New Orleans career. And, I mean, there you have this young defensive savant kind of coach where, um, I mean, he was he was holding the title of associate head coach and kind of always, to me, felt like the head coach in waiting um, if all this, you know, went sideways and then you'd have the young sexy thing. And, I mean, just looking at the Pelicans defensively, they were below league average last year, which is largely because the wheels came off and the injuries and everything like that. But the prior two years, the Pelicans were better than league average on defense. Um, so given just moderate talent, he was able to scrap scrap together, you know, a good defensive team. And, I mean, both, both of those rosters still severely lacked anything that looked like a wing player, let alone multiple wing players. And I did feel bad, and I think I said something in our group chat when um, the – when him stepping down came about that finally he has some tools in the tool chest to do something with, and he's being shown the door. Um, and I, to me, I don't, I'm not as concerned as you are with Bizdelic's um, history clashing with uh, personalities and things like that in, in the locker room, because the personality they clashed with is Carmelo Anthony. Um, and there's a story in that of, of itself. And I don't feel like the Pelicans roster has any kind of personality like Carmelo Anthony that maybe is going to trip that, that <laughs> whatever it is in Bizdelic that he just cannot stand a player. You look at the Pelicans roster and it looks more like a whole bunch of grinders who are ready to go and get to work. And maybe that's the thing that he just could not stand about Carmelo Anthony on the defensive end. Well, we got other questions um, from our listeners. Um, our friendly neighborhood Sabi boy is also. We talked about um, Bizdelic um, injury scenarios. Um, obviously, we've had some guys on this roster who have uh, missed games. Of course, Lonzo Ball has missed um, roughly half the games that he uh, that he's been uh, eligible for over his first two seasons. We know Brandon Ingram had his injury last year. Drew has gotten past his injury issues for the for the uh, most part. Um, Josh Hart has had a couple of injuries. JJ Redick, not really. Um, are there concerns? Do you have concerns? I mean, it feels like to me that there's enough depth outside of that point guard position. If Lonzo were to go down for an extended period, um, every other position feels like there's depth there. Um, are there any concerns for you if, if there are is, if there's an extended injury to one of the main guys? My biggest concern would be substantial injuries to either either of the point guards because then, I mean, even if it's Lonzo, who, I mean, he has quite the injury history, then um, you're, you're going to be sliding. I mean, if, if Lonzo's injured, then the fix lineup-wise is you slide Drew to point guard, which is a place where he can succeed and he, he can do well, but he doesn't prefer to play at. And then you slide J.J. Redick into the shooting guard lineup, into the shooting guard slot. But 
on the reserve side of that, then the question is who's, I mean, there's a lot of point guard minutes now that are available that need to be filled by somebody. Um, what the Pelicans did last year when Alfred Payton, um, Alfred Payton went down in the next two or three games, Frank Jackson played 18, 22, 24 minutes, all losses. Um, so that, I mean, that was the first place that they went. Now, Frank Jackson hopefully has gotten better from last year. What I saw at summer league, um, I, I expect a guy who's been in the NBA for two full years and who has, you know, a decent amount of NBA minutes to be able to come out in summer league and make things look organized if he's the point guard. And that was not what I saw from Frank Jackson. So um, an injury at point guard um, would be of grave concern. And then the other injury that would be um, that there's really not a whole lot of depth behind him is if there's a big injury to Derek Favors. Um, any of the guys on the wings, there's there's actually so many wing players that are deserving of minutes that if Brandon Ingram goes down or J.J. Reddick goes down or anything like that, you have, um, you know, Drew Holiday can play those minutes, Brandon Ingram. J.J. Redick, uh, Josh Hart, Darius, Moore. Darius Miller, Etwan Moore. Like there's six bodies that you can say they can play minutes in the NBA at the two and three. Have played minutes, did play minutes last year. You know, 1,000, 1,700, 2,000 minutes in the league um, and didn't, you know, fall flat on their face. There's plenty of wing minutes to go around. But, you know, if Lonzo Ball goes down and now you're leaning heavily on Drew Holiday at the point guard, then you're asking either Frank Jackson or Nikhil Walker to Alexander Walker to play a lot of minutes. And then defensively, if Derek Favors goes down, um, he's really going to be a linchpin to this whole rotation in my mind, because while we've made center to be kind of this mercenary position where you can always fill it. If you want to be a great defensive team, you probably want to have a center that can pull it all together and get things organized defensively. That's something that I expect Derek favors to be able to provide. And if he's out the step down from Derek favors to Jaleel Okafor, while I like Jaleel Okafor is substantial. And then after that, you're talking about, well, if if Favors goes down and you're starting Okafor, then that means Jackson Hayes suddenly is your fourth big. And Jackson Hayes doesn't look like he's ready for NBA minutes yet. He's ready for NBA highlights, but he's not ready for NBA minutes. Kevin, there are not a lot of available bigs in the free agent market that could step in in, the, in a starting role for you if you do lose a Derek Favors the only names that kind of come to mind would be like um, what Nene is out there and um, Jonas Jarebko, who played a lot of minutes for the Warriors last year. Um, they're still out on the market. So, yeah, if, if Derek Favors were to get hurt um, and he's the guy who's, who's played most of his games, he hasn't missed a lot the last four years. Um, but if he were to get hurt, do the Pelicans have to go outside and look for help or do they, you know, play Melly as a stretch five? Um, or, you know, start Zion at center, what would be the solution if they lose if they lose their front court stalwart? Yeah, if they lose favors for any extended amount of time, I think they if the if the aim is to win now and into the future, I think they need to find a way to acquire another big man, you know, probably moving Etwan Moore or Darius Miller and, you know, perhaps that Cleveland first rounder, which isn't really a first rounder or some seconds or something like that to 
to get a lower end of on the bench uh, center guy who can give you solid minutes somewhere, you know, whether that's like, you know, like a Kylo Quinn type, somebody like that. Um, that's not a star that you might be able to pry from a team that might need some shooting or something like that. Um, I think that's the way you got to go because I don't think you can rely on, you know, I think you really want to give a red shirt year to Jackson Hayes, let him bulk up, let him play a lot in the G league um, and let him develop before you really throw him out there and want to count on him to try to win games. So I think, yeah, in-house you're very thin. Cause I, like I said, I, I kind of like Julia Loka for, I just don't think, I don't think Alvin Gentry does. I just get that feeling that it's, it's a front office thing that they really like the potential. It was a Dell thing. And now it's continued with David Griffin, but we saw that Alvin would much rather play smaller than, than play a guy like Ja and, and rely on him. And then now you rely on him and then you have to have, uh, somebody else, you know, somebody else like Melly play the five or Zion play the five a lot to make that work. So um, I think the answer wouldn't be in house if you lost uh, Derek Favors for any extended time. I think that would be a move that had to be made. Um, you know, possibly a guy like Myers Leonard in um, Miami. I don't know how much they consider him really part of the team. They got him in the in the dumping of uh, Whiteside. You know him and Darius Miller's salaries pretty much match up, or you could probably send them Etwan Moore to give them some more shooting and get him and, some, you know, maybe a couple of seconds or something like that. But I, you know, hopefully we don't have to deal with that, but losing, as David said, losing favors or losing ball are the, are the toughest things to counteract. And, you know, it is something that I worry about because I do have faith in Aaron Nelson. He has a very strong track record, but I don't think he's a guy that can raise the dead. And what we have seen from Ball is, you know, like you said, he missed about half of his game since he's been in the league. So you got to expect he's going to miss at least some games. You just hope it's not going to be for a very extended period of time. Same thing with Favors because those are the two biggest holes after that. Um, whereas, like you said, you can plug in a lot of guys at the guard in the wing position. Or even even at power forward because you know Melly and and you got Kenrick and you got Darius Miller could play minutes at the four, so you have guys that can play those minutes. Whereas at the five and at the at the lead guard, you're very thin. Another guy who we have injury an injury concern around, and it's his his return from injury is Brandon Ingram. Um, again, the last time we spoke with him uh, when he was introduced, he said he had yet to even pick up a ball yet, let alone start shooting. Um, and you could see he was even thinner than, than we expected um, in that room. So this delay, and we don't know if he started shooting yet, how, where he is physically right now. Um, and we're about, what, almost, what, three weeks since uh, he was introduced. So his progress between now and the start of training camp and then the beginning of the regular season, do you guys, how confident are you that he will be in physical shape to start when the season begins? Who wants to go first on that? Yeah, that's a, anyway, that was a tough uh, thing with him. You know, that was always the knock on the on the trade package is that you're getting this guy with all these huge question marks, and then to hear that he hasn't even picked up a ball yet is very troubling. Um, from all indications, the team feels positive that he's going to make a full recovery and be able to contribute right away. Um, but it is still a question mark. 
And, you know, when I was figured out my men's rotation, obviously I'm thinking approaching it as this, everyone is healthy, but should he not be healthy? I think the answer is to start Josh Hart at the three um, because he has that size and, uh, you know, he has the shooting ability and the defensive ability to do exactly what you want and then still bring um, Reddick in early to, to give, provide even more shooting. But I think Hart is definitely the answer to the starting five, though Reddick is probably the more, you know, bigger name or the guy that, you know, you, you would give more minutes to if Ingram was healthy. It's just uh, a, a fit and how you want to start out. You want you don't want to fall in a hole defensively, and Hart can give you a lot of what Reddick can give you offensively, just not at that incredible rate of, of shooting that um, or gravity that, that uh, Reddick demands. Fish? I, I I agree with him a hundred percent on on that. Hart would definitely be my my first choice to slide in that small forward position if um, Brandon Ingram isn't ready to go. Um, and maybe we'll see a situation where Brandon Ingram's kind of brought on slowly, either as somebody who comes off the bench initially, and Josh Hart starts, which might alleviate some of our who's the lead ball handler for bench units concerns because Brandon Ingram was very successful as a kind of point forward with the Lakers at, at times um, in his career. And you, so you can bring him along slowly like that, or if, you know, he, he does miss games. The one nice thing about how they've built this roster and, and we went over it there before, I mean, there's legitimately six, six guys who deserve minutes on the wing and then kind of, Kynrick Williams is more of a short point, small power forward than a wing because he hasn't really shown the shooting ability yet that we're looking for. Um, but he can log minutes at, at, at small forward. He logged minutes last year at small forward. And if you're talking about him as your seventh option on the wing, I mean, they built this roster very thin, like we mentioned at point guard, very thin at big man. There's only five bigs on this roster that I count, not six. But the the benefit of that is that there's a ton of depth on the wing. So that would be – injuries on the wing, I think, are the easiest thing for the Pelicans to manage. And if one of the ways that they manage the combined issues of Brandon Ingram maybe isn't ready for 30 minutes a game and we have so many bodies that deserve minutes – uh, an easy way to solve that is just don't play Brandon Ingram so many minutes and you get some of some of these other guys who deserve minutes um the time they need on the court to feel like you know they're they're part of this whole operation and pulling towards wins. Well, just for Ingram's progress though, if he's not able to go or not as as effective early on and he has to fight to get himself back into the rotation. Let's say the Pelicans get off to a good start and he's playing 15 minutes a game in the early going. And we know, again, he's in a decision year. The franchise has to, has to decide really early on. I mean, you know, by the all-star break, I mean, by the trade deadline, that decision needs to have been made um, about Ingram's future. How detrimental could be, could it be to the assessment of whether or not he stays or goes? Now that on that end, it could be extremely detrimental just because they're going to lack data. Um, it, the what we've heard from 
David Griffin before he got this job and then since? Is it it seems like he's very high on Brandon Ingram on his skill set and um, what he brings to the league. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I've always felt like Brandon Ingram is the easiest piece of the Lakers package to let go and to trade away for something better or something more immediate because you're, you don't want to have that big cash outlay to him because you're worried that it's, is is he going to be worth it? Is it going to work out? Is he going to fit with Zion? All, All of those questions. So if, if he's unable to kind of answer the questions to the Pelican satisfaction between now and the trade deadline, that could, that could spell the end of his, of his career here in new Orleans, where you could see him instead of one of the other future draft picks that the Pelicans might be able to trade being the asset attached to Darius Miller or, and, or um, each one more when the Pelicans make, you know, the expected trade, I guess that we've, we felt like those contracts line up to be traded by the trade deadline for something that may, might be a little bit more long-term. You could definitely see Brandon Ingram. And I, my expectation is expectation has always been he's, he's, he's the most likely asset to go out. That isn't a draft pick in order to get talent. Okay. Um, our friend Tahada. As usual, gives us some essay questions. Uh, the first one I think we've we've covered: what will be higher next season, O rating or D rating? Uh, but let's answer it again really quickly, uh, Kevin. Which is higher, the O rating or the D rating? Uh, I think they're going to be pretty close to each other, but I'm going to go ahead and say the defensive rating is going to be higher. Fitch, what you got? I agree, defensive rating. I would I would also say the same. So. We're in agreement there. Um, second question, more motivating for Zion, missing the, pl- the fear of missing the playoffs or the desire to make the playoffs? I think it's the desire to make the playoffs. And I think if he it, – it would be a great situation if the Pelicans make the playoffs this year, even if it's a relatively quick um, bowing out in the first, in the first round. But I, I think that's something that – clearly David Griffin truly values is can we get into the playoffs and lose and learn what it looks like to win all of the podcasts that I've listened to. He brings up the golden state warriors and what they learned about how to win by losing in the playoffs. Part of that because they were coached by Mark Jackson, but um, you know, what they learned um, in, in that situation outside of the fact that they needed a new head coach was, you know, how to win in the playoffs and what it's going to take and the kind of discipline and dedication to executing the game plan every single trip down the floor. That kind of stuff, it kind of gets lost in the sauce here as as viewers during february and march and those games they just kind of all blur together i'm sure they blur together for the players as well whereas when you get into the playoffs and every game's going to be on national television and you're always going to be relatively well rested going into each one and you finally have that situation where you get to game plan for one team for a week and you get to really dig into what they're doing and how are we counteracting that that I mean, basketball is a whole – NBA basketball is an entirely different sport in the playoffs 
And the sooner the Pelicans can get there so Zion can experience it and taste it and want more of it, the better. All right, Kevin, I'm going I'm to skip that one. But you don't need that one. Yeah. Um, but you can have this one. Every current Pelican player has something to prove. Do you think that provides a fast track to good team chemistry? Or do you think that has the potential to divide the team? Hmm. That's That's a really interesting question because, you know, when people are working for an individual goal, sometimes it deviates. But I think that the kind of players that they have, um, I, I think David Griffin was very selective on the kind of players that he wanted here. He wanted selfless players. He wanted players that valued, valued the team above all. And I think you've definitely seen that from Drew Holiday. And from all indications, everything you hear about Zion Williamson says that he is like that. So your two faces of the franchise, you know, are are selfless guys. And then you also have a guy like J.J. Redick, who's like the savvy veteran who who's come in. He's made the playoffs every year of his career and has also been fine with either coming off the bench or starting or filling a certain role. And then you have, you know, a guy like Derek Favors, who also took a backseat to Rudy Gobert um, and, and sort of sacrificed what he could have been uh, to fit in a system that they had in place in Utah. So I think they have, you know, these these main four guys will set the tone for you. And even guys like Alexander Walker seems to be a guy that's very team first. Uh, um, you know, Frank Jackson seems to be a guy with high character that follows in the footsteps of Drew Holiday. So even like the younger guys seem to have bought into that team first um, and do your job, do your job well, and make sure you're not the – the what's causing the fault of everyone else. So I, I don't necessarily see that as a problem. He's right that there's a lot of guys on this team that have a lot to prove. But I do think that Griffin brought in guys that are going to be trying to prove th- things about themselves through contributing to a very successful team and not so much in just the spotlight shining on me. Fish, before I let you answer that, I just um, I, I think Kevin's right in a lot of that regard. I think it, it does. These guys have to prove something within a team concept for most of them. Lonzo, you know, has to prove that he can run a team effectively in the group. His his value is not going to be determined by how many points he scores. It's going to be is he can he lead a team over the course of an entire season. For Brandon Ingram, it's not just going to be can he score. People believe he can score. It's going to be can he take on a role within the within the scope of a larger group. Same thing with Zion Williamson. He has nothing to prove to the uh, you know in general as the rookie amongst the group. But again, we know he's a team player. Derek Favors is a guy who's proven he can sacrifice over the course of years and is going to be getting a more prominent role now. I don't see the pressure amongst the veterans. Uh, to prove anything. Drew Holiday has nothing to prove in this league. Um, I think that the young guys who do have something to prove, so to speak, that will get beat out of them in practice in, co- in competing for their own spots. Because because there is such depth on this team, if you're not on board, you will find yourself on the bench. What's your thought? Uh, I agree with you 100%, except for I, I do think that uh, something that Brandon Ingram – Brandon Ingram – if he reaches his, you know, if he gets on the trajectory to reach what we believe to be his peak, he should lead the Pelicans in scoring this year, and that's fine. 
I don't think that steps on anybody's toes for him to be the lead scorer this leading scorer this year. And the rest of the guys, like watching Duke and watching how Zion played, he was he was an energy big. Like the role they they put him in, he was just an energy big kind of rolling, you know, filling in on the dunker spot, crash the glass. If you get a rebound, you can take it and go. If you create a steal out in the open court, you can get it and go. But the offense wasn't run through him. They weren't getting him post touches or elbow touches or anything like that. So, um, and clearly, I mean, if you watched him, he was thrilled about the whole situation the whole time. He's all about the team. And I think a, a lot of it is if each of the Pelicans achieve what they want to achieve individually, the Pelicans as a team are far more likely to achieve what they want to achieve as a team because a lot of their – the Pelicans do need a go-to score. And Brandon Ingram is going to have that mantle largely put on him. It's going to be between him and Drew Holiday in terms of we need a bucket, go get it. Depending on matches, matchups, et cetera, you can see that it's either going to be in Drew's hands or it's going to be in Brandon Ingram's hands. They're the two best isolation scorers on the team. Um, they're the two best at creating their own shot just in general, not just in isolation, but really in any situation. So um, his his motivation might be the one that seems the most out of place of everyone. But if you really think about what the Pelicans need um, and what you can expect them to get from Drew Holiday, from Derek Favors, from J.J. Redick, down on the bench um, from Etwan Moore and Darius Miller as just, I mean, they're going to go and they're going to try. They're going to put everything out there for the minutes that they have. And each one more isn't going to have to play a lot of small forward minutes now. So maybe he's going to look a lot better than we remember him as, you know, he's going to go from being a starting small forward to being probably the ninth man on the team. Um, if Josh Hart is ahead of him in the rotation where I believe he should be. So I don't, I don't feel like, where we have the players in their in their roles is outside of where their goals are unless we we have vastly overplaced where their their aspirations are but i don't think they that is the case um specifically when you think about lonzo ball um if if you read him talk or heard him talk about basketball if you just watched how he plays he seems like a guy that would be perfectly happy and joyous to average 14, 10 and eight and put down, you know, second team, all defensive performances on the other end of the court. And everybody realizes he's one of the best two way guards in the league. And that might sound huge compared to the numbers he's put up. But if you've seen him and you think he's going to achieve his peak, that, I mean, that should be in the cards for him. So, I feel like the Pelicans and David Griffin has mentioned this in interviews where the timelines aren't necessarily just ages. It's where players are in their career, where they expect to be in the league. And I feel like a lot of those timelines, even though they like some of the guys are a lot younger than Drew, et cetera, they, they line up very well. So I don't, I don't feel like that there's a lot of, conflict between individual goals and then what the pelicans want the players to achieve individually so that the pelicans achieve what they want to achieve as a team 
Well, we've we've hit all the topics um, from the the listeners, and I think we've covered a lot. So let's end on a lighter uh, note. One of the things that happened this week, um, obviously Zion signed an endorsement deal with 2K Sports. Um, certainly he'll be working with them on the NBA 2K franchise and, and, and doing events for them. We've also gotten stories from Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart that they're both big gamers. Um, I think it's past time for the Pelicans to go ahead and join the rest of, well, a good chunk of the league and get into the gaming uh, realm do you think these guys with Zion, you know, and, and Lonzo and, and Josh pushing that the Pelicans could finally get an E-League team and, and start playing in the NBA 2K League? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, we've seen so much change so far with this team and, you, you know, everything they're doing and investing in is all about growing the brand and changing the perception of the team. And, you know, that's just another thing that gets your name out there. It attracts younger players younger people because a lot of people are some like now I think a lot of younger kids get into actual sports by first getting into the video game version of that sport. Um, and so by having that presence and that ability to have an actual team that does something like that um, could inspire a whole new wave of fans locally. And then of course, like the team that you're going to have to play with at, you know, if you're playing with the Pelicans on 2k, also is going to be an exciting team because of the players that are on that team. So it's, it's just, it's the, probably the best roster that they've had on a 2k roster ever. And then you add in all the other factors and it just makes a lot of sense for them to finally uh, jump in and get involved with all that stuff. I mean, my experience already has been that when, when I'm playing 2k in the neighborhood and, and you know, playing on blacktop, what there are already dozens of people who are either playing with Zion Williamson jerseys on or playing with characters who look and have, you know, Zion's dimensions and attributes. So, I mean, his, his popularity is, and, and the, the Pelicans popularity is already surging. So I think it's a great natural fit. You take advantage of Zion's already his connection with that. And as this new face of the league and you said for a town that has, that is trying to get its its grips on some casual fans and a new, and a young base of fans in a city that has lost a lot of young people over the last decade. Um, certainly, um, as you want to be a more national and worldwide brand as it expands into Birmingham in another year. Um, to to me, uh, E League is is a great way to do that. What do you what do you think, Fish? Uh, it seems like that would be right in. Um in David Griffin's wheelhouse, because uh, if you remember when he talks about the first time he came to new Orleans, it was for a video game conference. So um, obviously he had that, um, that, that bug at a very young age, um, video gaming wise, probably played uh, video games that you and I played David. Um, when we <laughs> <were kids. laughs> um, so um, absolutely. It, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, and and I think we're seeing it also how the Pelicans are trying to interface with the Saints now, where is there just another avenue that we can reach potential Pelicans fans and bring them in some way, shape or form, either getting, you know, getting them into the arena, just getting them to follow the team on Twitter so that they'll know when the games are on and what channel to turn it to. 
because I mean, a lot of folks like myself have now cut the cord. So we can't say what channels it on as, as a number. Um, so it, it's just one of those things where the Pelicans are clearly trying to branch out and use every possible avenue to bring in fans and interest. And why not use a situation like that that's going to be enormously popular, like esports? And especially because it, it's when you're talking about Zion Williamson is going to be one of the most popular players, and the Pelicans, therefore, one of the most popular teams to use um, in, in those situations. Why not? Why not get your foot in the door as well? Can agree more. Uh, guys, I think we've hit it all today. Um, is there anything you guys want to promote uh, that we, before we, we uh, say goodbye? Kevin, you got anything in the works? Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I wanted to say that yesterday I was driving to go pick up lunch and I put on 1280 and I heard a promo for Hard in the Paint starring David Grubb and it got me very excited. You know, we talk about it all the time privately on DMs and stuff like that, but when to actually hear the promo on air, it made it very real and I kind of got goosebumps. So I'm getting very excited about that. August is an exciting month for David and I, we both, uh, he's going to be starting his show on Monday, correct? Yes. And, and, um, our birthdays are August 11th. We're both born on the same day and, uh, (laughs) I will be flying out the day after your show starts for two weeks in Southeast Asia, uh, going back to where I used to live for a while in Singapore and visiting friends, doing some snorkeling, traveling to Malaysia. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that, eating a bunch of food. Um, and then as far as promoting work goes, Chris Connor and I are, are working now on, the third part of the New Orleans index ratings where we're going to go through all of the new faces on the team, uh, including front office people like swing cash and stuff like that. Plus players that we haven't covered assigning them an index. And then I'm sure we'll have another uh, music uh, piece, you know, sort of updating that with the new faces and all of that too. And then, and the new style of play and, um, things like that. And then I also just got asked to help somebody write a comic book. So that won't involve basketball, but that's something else I'll have in the works soon. So I'll, yeah. I'll let y'all know when that's coming out. Um, Sweet. I got, yeah. Fish, what you got? Um, actually, this week, um, sometime later, all of us are going to have um, the most recent roundtables that we um, were um, talking about. A lot of the topics we talked about today in terms of rotation, who's going to play, how many minutes. I think Ollie's working on a spreadsheet of all of our um, expected minutes, and then he's going to average that thing out. Um, so that would be something to look at. Um, for our website. Once that has published, I'm probably going to write a, my own personal piece. I've pl- I plan on write um, to go more in depth about what I was discussing regarding the rotation and what I expect the Pelicans to do and Alvin Gentry to do um, in the situation that the Pelicans are trying to win this season um, and how that might affect the minutes that rookies are going to get. So that's the next thing I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be doing. And then uh, I mean, kind of the off season we got um we got some uh like the dead season of basketball but we have the FIBA world cup comes up at the end of the month and one of the things that i've really noticed that the saints are doing that we should all kind of do is that it's not really basketball versus football we can just be basketball and football fans and there's nothing wrong with that so the saints kick off uh, i think next friday in a couple days for the first preseason right. game so we can enjoy that and um we'll get together especially hard and heavy um 
once September, late September rolls around and they get into, um, they, they get into camp. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. The biggest thing for me right now is, is, is the start of the new show, Hard in the Pain with David Grubb on WODT Sports 1280 beginning Monday, August 5th from 8 to 10 a.m. Central. You can listen to it live on the WODD, uh, WODD ah, DT website. You can also listen to it on the iHeart app, and it will be a podcast as well. I'll be launching my own website, um, Hard in the Paint. Uh, that should be launching by the end of this week, if not Monday at the latest. And um, my Twitter page and my Facebook page is up, and my Instagram. I just put up a Hard in the Paint Instagram page today. So that's where all my focus has been. And I, I'm sorry I've neglected as much of my writing as I have. But, you know, if if you knew how much goes into putting together a radio show, um, you would completely understand. And I hope folks do, because I do love to write. Um, it's just that this has been a huge, huge undertaking. Um, and I'm thankful for all the guys at the Bird Rights who have helped um, in one way or another. And for everybody who listens and um, has, has supported me. Um, and getting to this point, uh, it, it's, I think it's going to be a great show. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, it, you know, I want people to call in. I want people to argue and debate with me. Um, but please, please, as I always say, please have something to back it up. Don't just come at me with your feelings because I will hurt them. Uh, <laughs> but overall, I'm, I'm just really excited about that. I'm still excited about the rest of this summer. I do think there are some, some great things that are going to happen um, in sports in general. But I can't wait till basketball gets going. That's that's my lifeblood. That's my passion. So I'm so ready for uh, training camp to get here for the Pelicans. And we're about, uh, what, a month and a half basically away from that. Um, but until then, for the guys, for Kevin Barrios, for David Fisher, I am David Grubb. This has been The Bird Calls. And uh, let's dance. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Don't miss Old Navy's Saturday Steal. This Saturday, all jeans are on sale for 50% off. Plus, get $3 kids deals like graphic tees and tanks and $7 girls dresses. Saturday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 8-3 excludes in-store clearance. Select styles on kids deals and girls dresses. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets. Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.